Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it's a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Good evening and welcome to our show here at Review and Preview Sports. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Dictor. Hank, welcome. We have a very special dark episode live here tonight on Facebook Live. As you can see on our ticker below, give us a follow at Review and Preview Sports. Like our Facebook page, subscribe. We put out great content. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. And our audio version of this podcast tonight will be up on the anchor.fm slash review and preview. Hank, welcome. Really looking forward to having you here tonight with me. Thank you, Tom. It is a very good pleasure, and I'm very excited to be discussing Giants with you. This is going to be something that I've been looking forward to for a while, and I can't wait to talk about this team in particular. So with that said, let's get going. Your buddy Andrew Morrison says hello. (laughs) How's it going, Andrew? So tonight's episode title, we are going to be breaking down the story of the 2000 NFC champion New York football Giants on the second day of July. We started out with some, yes, that was Joe Judge with the Hell's Bells music in the background that you hear uh, before the kickoff of pretty much every Giants game. The story of the 2000 NFC champion New York Giants, a team that went to the Super Bowl back in the year 2000. They were the NFC champions. John Unterweger, my uncle from Oklahoma, thanks for tuning in, says that was a great season. And your good buddy, John Goodnow, has a comment for us. <laughs> yeah. Back to your boy, Andrew. There he is. Oh, man, he's looking forward <laughs> to this tonight. And, Hank, you're donning uh, – you got LT on. Can't quite see. Yes, 56 LT, the GOAT. And I got number 21, Tiki Barber, who is actually an active member of this 2000 Giants squad. So, uh, Hank, we're taking a trip back down on memory lane here tonight. All our viewers on Facebook Live, uh, this is going to be a great show for everybody to watch, but especially if you are a New York football Giants fan or just a football fan in general, because obviously we're mid-90s kids. We grew up. We really didn't start watching the Giants till the early to mid-2000s. For me, it was 2002. I think for you, it was around that same time, maybe a year or two after. uh, Roughly 04, 05 right when Eli was uh, starting yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so what I'm really uh, looking forward to is recapping this team because what a lot of people don't know is that in 2000, the Giants were coming off a very rough decade back in the 90s. Obviously, they, uh, they won the Super Bowl in 1990, but then they only made the playoffs twice from that point forward, once in 1993 and then again in 1997 when they won the division. Um. where they played the Buffalo Bills and they hadn't won a playoff game since 1993 coming into this season uh, Jim Fossil the head coach took over as head coach for the Giants in 1997 this was a team that needed a lot of help 
tank in his first season. He brought them to the playoffs with a, uh, I want to say, 10-5-1 record, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. You're correct. In Fossil's first season, despite being bounced in the wild card round, uh, that was a great first year for him. However, the next two years weren't too great. They had issues at quarterback, guys like Dave Brown and Kent Graham. Um, but Jim Fossil, the head coach, let's get an image of him up here so everybody can see who he is, who we're talking about. Jim Fossil, he was the head coach before Tom Coughlin. As we're getting Jim up here right now, there he is on his headset. That is Jim Fossil, the great Jim Fossil. Uh, and his coordinators on this Giants team are a couple of guys that you probably know. Jim Fossil's offensive coordinator for this 2000 Giants team, none other than Sean Payton, the current head coach of the New Orleans Saints. He has a Super Bowl ring under his belt in New Orleans. And Sean Payton, Hank, Hank, he was the quarterback's coach in 1999. He developed into the offensive coordinator. He got promoted in 2000, where he stayed from 2000 to 2002. Uh, and what's very interesting about Sean Payton, Hank, is that him and Jim Fossil were two offensive minds, but they didn't run their offense exactly the same. Right. And um, Sean and Sean Payton was one of those coaches who, you know, they were a very pass heavy offense, as you will see, we will be talking about later on in this uh, show. And but they did have a good amount of running backs, too, to help them. Tiki Barber and Ron Dane formed a really good one two punch. And as you'll, as we'll talk about later, that's going to be huge. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Hank, as uh, those two guys were very huge back in the day for the Giants. Thunder and lightning, they like to call them. Yes. We'll get to them in just a couple of moments. Now, the defensive coordinator also won a Super Bowl with a different team. In fact, he's appeared in a Super Bowl as head coach of two different teams in this 2000 year. That is John Fox, the defensive coordinator of the New York football Giants. There he is. He was the D.C., from 97 to 2001, there is John Fox as a legend. Everybody knows him with the Carolina Panthers and the Denver Broncos winning a, a ring with Peyton as his quarterback. Uh, no. No, that was Gary Kubiak, actually. Correct. You're right. I am. I stand mistaken. But, yes, John Fox was the head coach of Denver after Carolina. So yes. my question to you. And we're going to get back to Jim Fossil now. Uh, do you view him as an underrated head coach in Giants history, uh, especially because of the fact that both of his coordinators turned into, uh, you know, head coaches that at least made a Super Bowl? Yes, and I would say that him being underrated really goes beyond that because, for starters, yes, obviously you have the coaches, Sean Payton and um, Sean Payton and John Fox, but you also factor in the fact that, the Giants, every year that he was there, with the exception of his last season, would always have a very strong second half. So that means he obviously took some control whenever times were tough. And while, yeah, he might not have been successful as he could have been, he got some good results out of the Giants. He did get them to a Super Bowl. And obviously the thing he will be fine to is something that we will be getting to later on, and that is a guarantee that they would make the playoffs. Yeah, it was a guarantee that they would make the playoffs that year. We're going to get to that video in just a little bit and preview the season very shortly. So let's talk about some of the impact players of this team. It starts out with none other than Kerry Collins, the quarterback number five. There he is. He came to the Giants as a free agent in the year 1999 from the Carolina Panthers. Oddly enough, there's another picture of him. 
celebrating the NFC championship at the Meadowlands. Uh, Kerry Collins, Hank, he played for six different teams in 17 NFL seasons, but he had his best ones with the New York football giants. Yes. And as if you, people might not remember this, but in 1999, when he was signed, Kerry Collins coming to the giants was actually seen as a very big risk prior to his time with the giants. He had gotten into a lot of trouble. He was dealing with alcohol problems. And of course he had called one of his teammates, a certain word that I will not repeat on this podcast. However, with that said, Kerry Collins got the help he needed. He became a change man. And by the end of 2000, he really, you could tell that he definitely turned his life around and more. And of course that also showed with the results that he put on the field. I really liked Kerry Collins, Hank. I think he was very underrated. We talked about the, uh, yes, the issues with Moshin Muhammad struggling with alcoholism. He also, uh, after a very poor beginning to the 1998 season, Collins actually asked his coach for time off in an attempt to batter, battle his inner demons. But Dom Capers took that as if he didn't want on the team anymore. He viewed that as him quitting entirely. So then Kerry was released and finished the season with the New Orleans Saints. And then, of course, we know about the DUI. The NFL forced him to go into rehab. But coming to the Giants in 2000, it represented a second chance yes. for this team. Um, 2000 NFL season, it was it really marked the turnaround for him both on and off the field. Uh, he threw for over th- th- uh, 3,600 yards, yes, and then right. the, 20, the 22 touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get into my man, uh, well, first Thunder and Lightning, Tiki Barber and yes. Ron Dane. We'll show you a picture of Tiki right there. That is Tiki Barber, number 21. He joined the Giants in 1997 as a rookie. And Tiki Barber this season, he set a uh, franchise record with over 2,000 all-purpose yards from scrimmage and a career-high 70 catches. Hank, talk about the impact Tiki Barber had on this 2,000 roster. Perfect. Well, Tiki Barber, this happened to be his breakout season. The year before that, this might surprise you, he had only about, say, 343 rushing yards, and he did not score a single rushing touchdown. This year, he sco- he had 1,000 rushing yards and, like, t- let me see. What, how was it such in total? Tiki uh, Barber, I believe he had nine. Yeah. Nine touchdowns in total. Yes, nine touchdowns. He was a key catalyst in the run game, and... Yeah, he, he was a big factor in the Giants going far, for sure. As your buddy Andrew Morrison has a comment here, can you tell me more about more Gary? About Gary who? <laughs> <Gary Hoop. laughs> Probably just joking around with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and John John Goodnow commenting on the live stream. Shout out to you, also from Chappaqua, New York. I know I always pronounce your town incorrectly. Chappaqua. I hope I got it right that time. You like my uh, sign back there, by the way? Giants fan parking only. Oh, I love it. It's a perfect backdrop. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's go on here. Actually, let's get to James's comment. James Montefusco. I have a jersey of his, but it's white, not blue. James, don't you worry. We also have a white jersey of Tiki Barber in here, I believe. There he is. <laughs> Sitting in between uh, Kerry Collins and his fullback, Greg Camilla, who we'll mm-hmm. get to in just a few moments. So, um, all right. Tiki Barber. He was a fantastic running back for the Giants, and that was big, the 2000 season, because in 1999, the leading rusher for the Giants was a man by the name of Joe Montgomery. In fact, he, he didn't even break 350 rushing yards. No, he didn't. 
on the season, Hank. And you talk about the transition for Montgomery, 1999 to 2000. In 2000, Montgomery had only one carry the entire season. And Tiki Barber did not have a single rushing touchdown in 1999. Fun fact. But um, the next guy I want to get to is the rookie on this roster. And they call him Ron No Gain Dane. There he is. The Giants drafted him. I want to say it, was, it wasn't a first rounder, was it? I think it was a first rounder. Uh, but yeah, Ron Dane was drafted uh, in 2000 to the Giants. He was one of the rookies on this roster. He had over 770 rushing yards as a rookie. And that 770 yard rushing mark was the second most by a rookie in team history at that time. Uh, Hank, talk about Ron Dane and his, uh, you know, his first year with the New York Giants. Well, Ron Gain in his first year turned out to be the perfect complement to Tiki Barber. Thundering Lightning was the nickname of that dude. And he scored some big touchdowns, one of which happened in a game against the Dallas Cowboys in Week 7. But, of course, we will talk about that game later. But Ron Dane, perfect running back complement and solid rookie season overall. I got to say, a lot of people feared Ron Dane. Uh, And, you know, I got to say... He kind of reminded me of Brandon Jacobs when the Giants first drafted Brandon Jacobs in 2005. I got a little bit scared because Jacobs struggled in short yardage situations a little bit in his rookie season. But, yes, you know, the fact that Brandon Jacobs donning that number 27 was able to be successful. Definitely. Unfortunately, Ron Dane did not have the most success, but uh, he was definitely a big component of the season. Let's get on to the wide receivers. We're just going to go over the two. And then we will run over some fun facts with you guys and then go over the entire season. So we also have some video clips we're going to show with you guys tonight as well. So uh, the wide receivers for the Giants on this team, we have Amani Toomer, who was drafted back in 1996. On the season, Amani Toomer had 78 catches, nearly 1,100 receiving yards, and seven touchdown receptions. Although I've got to say, Hank, it felt like he caught a lot more than that. Yeah, Amani Toomer was generally, generally all things considered, one of the more clutch receivers that we had. And he was definitely a guy you could count on in a big moment. And yeah, Toomer was definitely, this was like one of his first years where he really got to be a number one receiver for a giant squad for sure. You know, and we talked about this a few minutes before going live tonight. Amani Toomer was really a guy that a lot of people viewed him as a lot of Giants fans viewed him as a number one, but the NFL didn't exactly view him as a number one. I think Amani Toomer had a very short window where he was a number one receiver, but to the Giants standards, he was a number one because it was a lot better than anybody they had in years past. I know they had Mark Ingram back in the early nineties, but Amani Toomer stuck with this franchise from 1996 to 2008 and really just talking about him. One of my favorite Giants of all time. I wish I had a jersey of his. Um, yes. <laughs> came <laughs> He came to the Giants before Tiki, before Shockey, before Plaxico, and lasted longer on the Giants than all those guys. So, yeah, yes. it's, it's definitely very interesting to uh, process that. The other I'm guy, gonna, go ahead. I was going to say one of George Young's later draft picks, I might add, right before he stepped down as the general manager. Yeah, that's and, a really good point. You'll see a lot of those guys later on. Tiki Barger, Michael Strahan, to name a few. Michael Strahan, yeah, he was drafted by the Giants back in 1993. We will get to him in just a moment. But the other wide receiver, Ike the Bike Hilliard. Here's a picture of him running against Gabe Flayton's Minnesota Vikings in the 2000 (laughs) NFC Championship game. 
Amani Toomer scoring from the fourth play from scrimmage. There he is, number 88. He actually led this Giants team in touchdowns with eight touchdown receptions. Uh, and then on the defense, we had Michael Strahan and Jesse Armstead. Two bulls, Strahan on the line of that 4-3, and then Jesse Armstead, who was a great linebacker who could also rush the passer. Strahan had nine and a half sacks this season, but the stat that really stuck out the most to me was his four fumble recoveries. Yeah, Michael Strahan was an absolute force on that defensive line. In fact, I would also say beyond just that, he was their key leader too. And also another thing I want to mention about Jesse Armstead, he was probably the other co-anchor of that, and he did not miss a single snap in his last six seasons with the Giants. Wow, that's something very interesting I didn't know about uh, Jesse Armstead. But uh, yes, Hank, we have a sorry, we have a comment here from James Montefusco, the co-host of Review and Preview. Shout out James for tuning in, always doing a lot of good work for us behind the scenes. Yes. He's asking, was Amani Tumor better than OBJ, or has the game changed too much? Uh, James, uh, to answer that question, I'm going to be honest with you. Who would I rather have, Amani Tumor, 100 percent? If I need a big catch late, I know Amani Toomer can move the sticks. He can make a big play, and he's not a nutcase. However, who's more talented? Obviously, Odell, because of what he, he's done, his athleticism, his big game-changing playmaking abilities. But Amani Toomer also did that, maybe not to as high of a degree as Odell, but I think Amani Toomer, uh, you know, he epitomized what it was to be a New York football giant. That was the ideal New York giant player. Odell, you know, I'm not going to bash him on here. I'm not going to say anything bad about Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he always worked hard and, you know, he always made big plays for this team. But Monty Toomer really idolized and was a great role model for a lot of the younger receivers on the team. Yeah, I would completely agree. Monty Toomer, he wasn't necessarily a superstar, like we said, but he was a guy that consistently would put up good numbers and he was a very solid wide receiver and definitely someone you'd count in a big game. Yeah, I would agree Odell Beckham Jr. may be the talented player, but again, Toomer consistently, big game numbers, and also he was a leader. Not that Odell Beckham, not necessarily that Odell Beckham wasn't, not necessarily that he didn't work hard, but yeah, I got to go with Imani Toomer here for sure. I definitely agree. Back to the defense, we're going to talk about Jesse Armstead, a guy who led the Giants in tackles season after season, 102 tackles in the year 2005 sacks from the linebacker position. And also, he was selected to his fourth straight Pro Bowl. This was really a key player on this Giants team that, to be quite honest with you, Hank, uh, nothing against Armstead, but I feel like he's forgotten by a lot of Giant fans. A lot of Giant fans today don't know who he is. They know who Strahan is. They know who Tuck is, OCJPP, but they don't know much about Jesse Armstead. So tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, I would agree. Jesse Armstead was one of those under-the-radar picks. He had a solid career out in Miami, but then... He's yet another guy that Georgia picked in the same draft as Michael Strahan. As it turned out, Jesse Armstead really became a co-anchor of that defense, of that defense. And as I also mentioned, he did not miss a single snap from, or actually, let me take it back. He did not miss a game from 1996, 2001 and pretty much one of the more consistent players on defense. And yeah, I, I've always wondered that too. How come this guy never gets like the recognition, but Nevertheless, a great giant, and if you ever go to the MetLife saying, you will definitely see his name on the Ring of Honor for sure. He kind of reminds me of an Antonio Pierce-like linebacker, except he was more of a pass rusher than AP. But they did play similar style games where they did rack up a lot of tackles. 
John Goodnow beefing up the comment section tonight. Thank you very much, John Goodnow. How's it uh, going, John? Hank, uh, let's get on to Keith Hamilton, your man, the unsung hero of this team called by Frank Gifford, had a team high 10 sacks in the year 2000. Yeah, Keith Hamilton, in addition to the sacks, some of those came in clutch situations during the regular season. But in addition, he would also make some very big game-changing tackles, too. So Keith Hamilton, for sure, one of the more underrated members of this defense, which really, as we'll get to later, this was a very loaded defense, for sure. And it, it helped them in big situations. Yeah, as you see in that picture, next to him is another under-the-radar player in safety, Sean Williams, number 36. But Keith Hamilton, yeah, and if you get praise from Frank Gifford, that is definitely a huge thing, uh, not something to be taken lightly. Uh, New York Giant, great. So let's get some fun facts before we run down the games of the season and the playoffs, the run to the eventual Super Bowl. Uh, so fun fact about this team, Howard Cross was the only player remaining from the 1990 Super Bowl to be on this uh, 2000 Giants Super Bowl squad. Hank, Howard Cross, uh, he actually reached out to me on uh, – a professional LinkedIn platform uh, oh, wow. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, wow. I, uh, I really That's like it. Howard Cross viewed as more of a blocker, uh, but definitely uh, I really like the way he played the game. He kind of fly He flew under the radar a little bit. Yes. But uh, you know, Howard Cross was great. And then Amani Toomer and Strahan, they were both on this 2000 team. In fact, they were the only two players from the 2000 team to be on the Super Bowl 42 roster. So it's safe to say Amani Toomer and uh, Michael Strahan were the only guys to really get revenge, as they yes. say, maybe against a different team. But uh, and just a heads up, John Goodnow does love LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, thank you for sharing with that, John. <laughs> but yeah, uh, give me some insight here about Amani Toomer and Michael Strahan uh, and their transition. You know, I think it definitely is fitting that those two were able to last through 2007. Both of those guys had real leadership qualities. And as I said before, both of them were some of the more consistent players on those great Giants teams during the 2000s. And to see them win last and get their Super Bowl ring after what really was a pretty rough ending to a great season, as we will talk about later, it, I'm sure it definitely felt very sweet for them. So couple other things. In the year 2000, the Giants wore new uniforms. Uh, the New York was incorporated into the helmets for the first time since 1975, uh, mm-hmm. which is definitely a fun fact that I didn't know until I looked that up. And the Arizona Cardinals were in the NFC East. So each um, the NFC East was a five-team division featuring by the four that are currently in it and the Arizona Cardinals. It didn't really make sense the way the divisions were formatted back then with uh, the five-team format, considering the Cardinals are a West Coast franchise and they were in the NFC East. So, you know, definitely uh, a little confusing, probably because uh, they're old days in St. Louis, but yes, definitely interesting. And fun fact on this team, about this team, the Giants only sent two players to the Pro Bowl in Jesse Armstead and, surprisingly enough, Ron Stone. Ron Stone, a right guard who actually was not drafted by the Giants, but definitely he was the anchor of this offensive line. Yeah, definitely. He gave some really good protection and he pretty much enabled Tiki Barber and Ron Dane to have the years that they had. And of course, most importantly, he 
also provided some good coverage for his quarterback, Kerry Collins, to have a turnaround season for sure. I definitely like the points you bring up there about him, Hank. Ron Stone is definitely a good player. Um, and then also talking about guys that were on that line, like Dusty Ziegler, Glenn Parker, Luke Pettigrew, which we'll get into later. Uh, but the preseason did not start out pretty for the New York football giants. They went 0-4, and they were coming off a 7-9 campaign in 1999. However, free agency additions did include the likes of Michael Barrow, uh, Dusty Ziegler, as I mentioned, Dave Thomas, and Glenn Parker. Glenn Parker played majority of his career with the Cardinals. Dave Thomas was a Jaguar. And Michael Barrow coming over as well. Dusty Ziegler. Week one, Hank. Week one of the 2000 season. Um, the Giants played the Cardinals. And this was a week one game where Tiki Barber rushed for 144 yards, including a monstrous 78-yard touchdown run, Hank. Giants won that game 21-16, to 1-0. Great start to the season. Yes, and you know, it was fitting. This was when not only did you see the debut of Thunder and Lightning, but of course it was kind of ironic. The game actually did stop for 23 minutes because of a Thunder and Lightning rainstorm, I might add. That is correct. You know, you definitely bring up an interesting point. Uh, I remember Jim Fossil was talking to the ref, like, when would, it, when would a game stop like this? So, and it did, but the Giants were able to come back and win that game. 21 to 16. It was a close game, but the Giants pulled it out. Week two, they went on to play the Philadelphia Eagles, a week that Kerry Collins really had his coming out party. He torched the Eagles secondary in week two. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the game where he threw a big bomb to Ike Hilliard, which would set the tone for another bomb he would throw much later on in the season. But this was probably the first really big game that Kerry Collins had. And it was definitely a sign of things to come later on. And also, if I'm not mistaken, this was the most points the Giants scored in a game this uh, in this 2000 season, the 33 points, the 33-18 win against the Philadelphia Eagles. In the regular season, yes. Yes. And and well, I, another fun fact about that game, by the way, this was also the last game that the Giants would ever win at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia before that place would get torn down a few years later. little fun fact for you there. Um <laughs> Folks, just a heads up for those of you tuning in. You are watching the story of the 2000 NFC champion New York Giants here tonight. Stay tuned. We have a few video clips we're going to play with you. And uh, we're going to run down this season and give you um, a lot of good content here tonight. Remember, give us a follow, uh, review and preview sports. We really appreciate it. All right. So week three, Hank, the Giants are 2-0. They're going in. They play the Chicago Bears and they beat them. Now the Giants improved to 3-0. For the first time in seven seasons. Yes. First time since 1993 with Dan Reeves, their coach, things were looking pretty good, but unfortunately the next few weeks, they would have a little bit of a setback where they lost their first game to division rival Washington, 16 to six. And then the next game, thunder and lightning only had one combined rushing yard, but no problem. They would soon pretty much improve in Week number, let me see this. Six. Six, yes. Week six, they would have a huge, who are they? They play the Falcons in week six. Yes. But I actually, that was a big game. They do just, go ahead. The defense held their running backs to 13 yards. And we have more fun facts regarding that game, right, Tom? 
We do, but we'll get to that in just a second. The defense really carried this team in 2000. Now, I know the offense was big in the NFC Championship game and getting them to the big game, but I want to just recap. Yeah, the Giants did lose to the Redskins. who were, uh, They lost 16-6 to to the Redskins. The Redskins' defense was fantastic in the year in 2000. The Giants really struggled offensively. And then in Week 5, the Giants lost to the Titans. This is a 28-14 to game. Remember, the Titans are just coming off a Super Bowl loss to the St. Louis Rams in 1999. One yard short. Uh, speaking of one yard short, the guy who uh, I want to say it was McNair who was one yard short, right? No, uh, Kevin Dyson. Kevin, Kevin Dyson, that's, that, that's who Tackled it was. Tackled by Mike Jones. Yes. Uh, this was a tough game for the Giants against the Titans. They were out for blood. Frank Wycheck had two touchdowns in this game. We know about the, uh, the lateral pass against, I believe it was the Buffalo Bills that Frank Wycheck made. Yes, and, it's a miracle. Yeah. And you're right, Barber and Dane combined for just one rushing yard in this game. The Giants went away from their running game for the second week in a row. And now the Giants, you're sitting there at three and two. You're going into this week six game against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and then you're right, the Giants held the Falcons to a franchise low, not a season low, wow. not a decade low, a franchise low franchise. at that time. I'm pretty sure that record still stands. Uh, 13 rushing yards in this game. But you asked for the fun fact. I'm going to give it to you right now. Yes. In 2000, the Giants defense finished number one against the run. Number one against the run. Does that seem like a defense that we know from uh, a few years later down the line? Uh, Yes, it does, Tom. And another fun fact about that game. You actually had two former Giants involved in it. Falcons head coach Dan Reeves, who was the previous head coach for Jim Fossil, came along. And, of course, he had one of two quarterbacks that Jim Fossil started with, Danny Cannell, starting for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I definitely agree. The Giants played a lot of, you know, former backup quarterbacks that used to be on their team. <laughs> Let's talk about that uh, week six game. You're right. It was ex-giant Danny Cannell who replaced the injured Chris Chandler with the ex-giant head coach Dan yeah, Reeves. Reed a head coach who really struggled in the 90s to get this team together. Uh, it's definitely something to uh, think about because the Giants, there was familiarity there with Atlanta. There was a lot of concern in this game. The Giants just lost two games in a row. And then they head in week seven. This game I want to talk about uh, oh, for, yeah. for a couple of minutes, Hank. They're going in. They're going in against the Dallas Cowboys. Troy Aikman, one of the best quarterbacks in the league at the time. The Giants defense got Troy Aikman to finish with a career-high five interceptions in this game, four in the first half alone. alone. Yes, this game actually, as you might notice later, this actually pretty much marked the beginning of the end for Troy Aikman's Hall of Fame career, as, of course, he would end up getting hurt and never play another down again in the NFL. But here is a thing about this game that was surprising. Despite the fact that Troy Aikman struggled in this the Cowboys somehow managed to take a one-point lead into the fourth quarter, but, of course, it would be Ron Dane scoring a big touchdown to give them a 19-14 lead, which would hold up at the end on one last Troy Aikman interception. You know, I've got to say, and uh, your buddy Josh Cole joins the stream here saying hi to John. John Goodnow, that is. Uh, yes, we're all, we're all Greeley graduates. We're all in the same out class. to the Horace Greeley School, correct? That's class of 2015. Gotcha. Yes. So back to this game, Troy Aikman actually threw an interception on the first play of the game. And it was the Jason Seahorn who picked them off. I believe he went deep down the field and Jason Seahorn just jumps up. He takes the ball away, boxes out the receiver very nicely. 
And the Mike Barrow pick when the Giants were down by one, leading to the Ron Dane touchdown. Ron Dane had a 100-yard game. Yeah. And a very scary finish, though, as Keith Hamilton, he was called for a roughing the passer penalty on that last drive. Uh, that was very arguable at the time. I definitely agree that it was roughing the passer. Yes. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the Cowboys, they weren't very good this season, which was very surprising. It was the Giants, Philadelphia, and the Redskins. They were the three teams going at it out of the five in that division. But you know, Like I said, this was kind of the beginning of the end of the Dallas Cowboys because – this was uh, one of this was also one of Emmett Smith's last years too, and Michael Irvin was already gone. This is pretty much the end of the Cowboys' dominant run in the nineties. I want to say that Emmett Smith went to the uh, Cardinals after that season. I'm pretty sure he played there at least for one year. I know. I think 2002 well, no, was his last year. Yeah, 2002. He played. Yeah, he he ended up two years in Arizona. Seems like every old running back goes there. But. That's right. So now the Giants are five and two. They beat the Eagles again. Joe Montgomery scores his first and only touchdown of the season. Amani Toomer had a great game. Nine catches, 108 yards, and a score. Uh, Amani Toomer, definitely the key wide receiver. Um, definitely good to see him get back in the stat sheet. The Giants would go on now with their 6-3 and record to Week 10. They beat the Browns 24-3. This 7-2 and two start marked the Giants' best start since the 1990 season where they went 9-0. and oh. Hank beating the Browns, who, uh, you know, I've, I've got to say one fun fact about this. The Browns had another backup quarterback playing for them in this game who the Giants were very, very familiar with. Do you yes. know who that quarterback was? Was it Kent Graham? Nope. He is nope. the current head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Doug oh, that's Doug Peterson. Peter- Doug Peterson. Oh, my God. Head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles uh, started in place of Tim Couch, who was drafted by the Browns in 99. Uh, Monty Toomer again, 100-yard performance off six catches and two touchdowns. And the fullback, Greg Camella. Uh, I want to touch on Greg Camella here. It's not very often you see a fullback make catches like Camella did, but – as here's a picture of Greg Camella making a nice catch. Uh, we'll get to that one later. Yeah, that was a very impressive catch for a fullback to make. Uh, small guy, about 5'11", 230 pounds. Greg Camella, five catches, 58 yards. And as we just m- mentioned, Tim Couch's backup, Doug Peterson, threw an awful interception in this game. He did not look good. Uh, you know, guys like Doug Peterson. And fun fact, the uh, ex-Giants, uh, ex-Cowboys head coach, was the Giants backup quarterback in the year 2000. For those of you that don't know, yes, <laughs> he did play. Yes, he played for Dallas. We know he played for plenty of teams, but he also played as a backup quarterback for the New York Giants, our current offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. And there he is, Jason Mr. Garrett. Mr. Clapper himself. <laughs> Mr. Clapper himself, once a Giant, and he returns to the Giants, speaking to uh, – number three wide receiver on the depth chart that season, Joe Juravicious. So, Hank, you know, I've got to say the Giants are now flying high, 7-2, and two, and then this is where things really begin to get rough for this team. A two-loss stretch. Why don't you run down the Week 11 loss to the St. Louis Rams for us? Yeah, Week 11, the Giants got torched by Rams backup quarterback Trent Green, and here, here's how badly their uh, offense did. Amani Toomer? Just one catch. 
at then week, but then we get to the next week against the Detroit Lions. Bashir Levingston does not have a good game. He has Tiki Barber has a big 67 yard punt return, but unfortunately that gets negated because of a holding penalty on him. And then to make matters worse, Bashir Levinson also commits a bad penalty or no, not a penalty. I'm sorry. He fumbles a kick return. And then that pretty much heals his fate. And after this game, he's gone never to play another down in the NFL again. Yeah. Uh, that was really rough. That two loss stretch. And it led to the infamous uh, Jim Fossil speech, which we're going to play up here in just a minute. So if you're not watching, you better uh, you better get back here because we're going to definitely. I think there actually was one other embarrassing moment. I should have mentioned this during Johnny Morton's touchdown run. Jason Seahorn, as he was trying to catch him, apparently his pants fell down. Yeah. Oops. Remember that. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the Rams, again, backup quarterback, the Giants facing. It seems like they faced a lot of backup quarterbacks in this season. Trent Green had four touchdown passes and one rushing. Talked about Toomer struggling, and then the Week 12 loss. Now the Giants dropped the 7-4. and Fossil cuts, Bashir Livingston. One day after this game, the holding penalty on the punt return by Tiki, and then the fumble on the kickoff return, his final NFL game. Charlie Batch actually gave the Detroit Lions a 28-0 lead in this game. Three touchdown passes. Charlie Batch, a lot of people know him as the, you know, lifelong backup quarterback for the Steelers, but a lot of people, you know, they they don't remember that, uh, you know, Batch used to start for the Detroit Lions for a few years. So definitely very interesting to see. But, um, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, Hank, it's just definitely – it's very tough to just sit here and analyze and what went wrong these two weeks, because quite frankly, I think what went wrong over this two week stretch was the giants just lost their identity. Yeah, I would agree. They gave up like a combined, they gave up a combined 69 points and that's not like their defense at all in a matter of two weeks. And so seeing that something was going on, Jim Fossil, not also feeling a lot of pressure. His contract was going to be expiring at the end of this year. And he dealt with two seasons in a row before this, where things just did not go as planned. And this is really the moment where things start to turn around. Yep. hundred percent. And, you know, I'm going to say one thing, Hank, uh, what really stood out to me was this one speech made by the gym, uh, by the head coach of the giants, Jim fossil sitting there at seven and four, and here we go. We're about to witness what ultimately changed the giant season. All right. So basically right at the beginning, he says he's trying to tell the reporters to leave his players alone and taking full responsibility for the recent slump that the giants have been in. However, the best part about the whole speech, he completely lights a fire under the team. He guarantees that they are going to go to the playoffs and at seven and four, yeah, there was a lot of panic. Two losses in a row, and not only that, but they were out of first place, only a half a game by, behind the eight and four Philadelphia Eagles. But as it turned out, this would be exactly what they needed to keep going and go on a run for the rest of the regular season. And you know, you just look at the way Jim Fossil dealt with his players, and you know, I've got to say, he was definitely a very underrated head coach in the Giants history, to be honest with you. They went back, they destroyed the Cardinals 31-7. to Another former Giant backup quarterback, Dave Brown, started in the place of Jake Plummer. 
Uh, Toomer and Barber both had touchdowns in this game. And your boy, Keith Hamilton, with, with the three sacks, definitely um, a big part of that Giants defense that season. Week 14, they beat the Redskins 9-7 to a week where Brad DeLuiso supplied all the points with three field goals. And this was a very pivotal game. For the Giants, because the Redskins started the season six and two, and then they're coming off losses in three out of their last four games. And it got very worrisome here because nobody really knew what was going to happen because Washington was right up the Giants throats. Despite losing those games, when you're in a, a divisional game, you know that more likely than not, it comes down to the wire. And that's exactly what happened here. Right. And they had also lost their previous game to Washington. So this needless to say was very important, but the defense as it had pretty much done when it mattered most stepped up big time. And aside from one touchdown that happened, despite a whole delay of game penalty, not, not being called the giants really stepped up. They also, by the way, forced out their starting quarterback, Brad Johnson, Jeff George ended up playing the second half of this game. If you remember. Yes, I do. And Jeff, Jeff not George. To mention, not to mention, not only did it cause Washington to change their quarterbacks, caused them to change their coaches. This loss pretty much was yet another one for the reeling Redskins. So after the season, North Turner was fired. He and they ended up going with Terry Rubisky as their interim for the remainder of the season. North Turner was fired the day after this game by Dan yes. Snyder. It's yes. safe to say not much has changed with this Washington Redskins franchise 20 years later. There's still a lot of just awful management decisions, a lot of head scratchers and Dan Snyder. I just, you know, something, something needs to change in the way they manage their team and their franchise, getting the right players in the right positions. And I do think drafting chase young this year definitely helps their case because the Redskins right now, they've been towards the bottom of the pit in the NFC East the last few years, especially since Kirk cousins departed. I believe their last playoff appearance was in 2015. Yes. Yeah. What was really phony about this game, Hank? uh, Yes, the Giants improved to nine and four back in first place of the NFC East, just ahead of the Eagles by a hair. By the way, I'll tell you a good fact. Philly also lost the game despite not giving up a touchdown to the Tennessee Titans, 15-13. You're right. And another thing that I found very interesting, too, is that the touchdown Washington scored in this game, the touchdown pass from Jeff George to Irving Fryer in the end zone, there was a delay of game penalty that was not called by the refs. If you watch right. the film on that highlight tape, and if you remember correctly, the play, co- the play clock was at zero for a solid three seconds before Washington snapped the ball late in the fourth quarter, and that gave the Redskins a touchdown. It brought them within two points, and um, I believe Washington missed a field goal eventually that the Giants won the game off. Yeah, it didn't even reach the crossbar, I don't think, the Eddie Murray field goal. Week 15, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep, they beat Andrew Morrison, who just commented the Steelers. They they beat his Steelers, and uh, the Giants improved to 10-4 and four on the season. Hank, in this game, Kerry Collins, 333 yards, three touchdown passes, and then Amani Toomer had one of his best games of the season, nine catches, 136 yards, and one touchdown. Yes, also have also factoring in this victory. Defensive end Cedric Jones, who played on the other side of Michael Strahan, and Reggie Stevens having an interception too. 
Reggie Stevens was a very sneaky player for the Giants. He flew under the radar. Not a lot of people knew about him. Uh, similar to Emmanuel McDaniel, who had six picks for the Giants this season as the slot corner. We'll talk about him later on. But realistically, I think one thing people need to realize is that a lot of these under-the-radar players, these are the same similar types of players that showed up for the Giants later in this decade in 2007 uh, towards that miraculous run in Super Bowl 42. But back to the Steelers game, holding their offense to 47 yards on the ground, and another under-the-radar player, uh, player, Cedric Jones, had the best game of the year, had his best game of the year this week. I really liked the way he played rushing the passer. Him, Hamilton, Christian Peter, and Michael Strahan, those four guys were fantastic. I know Peter technically started the season, and Griffin, Cornelius Griffin, your guy, was more of a spell guy that yes. came in on third down. So what would happen is Peter would start the game, he'd play first and second, Cornelius Griffin would come in on third. But now the Giants are sitting there 10-4. and four. Week 16, their second matchup of the season against the Dallas Cowboys. Hank, uh, this game, I'm going to be honest with you, the Giants were down. They were down. It was not looking good. Uh, the Giants were down in this game, 13-0 in the second half to Cowboys backup quarterback Anthony Wright, making his first NFL start. And we know a little bit about this quarterback, Anthony Wright. Yes, he. seven years later, he would appear on our roster as the third-string backup to Eli Manning, so he would get himself a ring with the New York Giants. That is right. He would eventually. It would take a couple of years, but let's break down this game. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about those Cowboys. This game clinched the Giants, the NFC East. The Giants rallied from a 13-point deficit in the second half against Cowboys backup Anthony Wright, as we just mentioned. Uh, who would join the Giants a few years later. The Cowboys didn't just have a 13-0 lead. They had it late in the third quarter, and then something just clicked. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was that Emmanuel McDaniel interception that set up the uh, the go-ahead touchdown run by Tiki Barber in this game that really stuck out to me the most. Because if McDaniel doesn't make that play, Anthony Wright, out of all people, potentially spoils the Giants' hopes at a number one seed and an NFC East crown, which could eventually screw up the season where the Giants have right. to go on the road. Cause remember there were three divisions back then uh, in both conferences. So only three teams won their division. The Giants would have to hope, you know, so they would have to hope that Philly and Washington would lose. Right. And then I understand there were three wild card teams back then. One of them would get a home game in the wild card round. But, man, let me tell you something. Strahan also with two and a half sacks. Again, the defense supplied a lot of pressure on Anthony Wright. And the Giants would clinch the NFC East for the first time since 1997. Not only do the Giants clinch the NFC East, but to be able to come back a week later and beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in a very tough-nosed football team coached by eventual head coach Tom Coughlin. Uh, fun fact, the Giants had to beat Tom Coughlin's Jaguars in this game at the time. And Hank, this was another very close game that the Giants had to rely on their defense. The Giants trailed 10-7 to in the fourth quarter. Yes, they did trail, but fortunately, Kerry Collins had a big 54-yard pass to Monty Toomer, gave them a 21-10 lead, and then, of course, the big play, though, tight Jaguars trying to come back. Jason Seahorn recovers the onside kick. Ices the game, and not only that, the home field advantage. And 
I got to say this, this year was yet another example of Jim Fossil having really good Decembers. 97, obviously, his first year he wins the division 3-0. And 98, obviously, as you probably know, they started 4-8, and but then they won their last four games in December, including a really epic game against the Denver Broncos. This season especially might have been one of his best jobs in December, considering he had the guarantee and saying they were going to the playoffs and all that. And awesome. then... He, he cashed in. He cashed in. That was what was really important. In but fact, next week, and in fact, next week, you want to know another thing that Fossil did that somehow the two best coaches in Giants history in the modern era struggled with? They had, he had a great tracker to get record against Philadelphia Eagles, as you will see the next week. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a couple of moments. But let's recap the Jacksonville game. The 54-yard touchdown pass from Collins to Toomer. After trailing 10-7, the Giants all of a sudden, they're up 21-10. Seahorn recovers two onside kicks, actually one that he took to the house for a 38-yard touchdown. As the PA announcer, quote on him, referred to as an early Christmas gift, and then it made Jim Fossil turn into Mr. December. That's pretty much what he was from that point forward. Uh, Toomer in this game, his best game of the season, eight catches, nearly 200 receiving yards, and one touchdown reception. Again, I don't know how Toomer only had seven touchdown catches on this season because it seemed like every game he was catching a touchdown. I don't understand. It's probably the games that we're watching. He scores a touchdown every game on those highlight tapes that we watched. But Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, it was a pass-heavy offense too. So It, it was. It was. And that's what Jim Fossil wanted. And you see that now with Sean Payton and the Saints. I'm going to be honest with you. Again, I know a lot has changed since the year 2000 to now, but if you look at Sean Payton's offense – it very closely resembles Jim Fossil's 2000 offense with the Giants. Why? Who is the assistant head coach of the New Orleans Saints? Well, it is a New York football giant who is actually on the 2000 roster. Backup tight end, Dan Campbell. There he is, number 89. A guy who really flew under the radar, in my opinion. Uh, he was also Jeremy Shockey's backup in the 2002 playoff run that they had. Uh, there's Dan Campbell, current assistant head coach for Sean Payton down in New Orleans. Uh, again, Hank, you know, I've got to say this game was very impressive to me. Uh, the Giants uh, go 4-0 in December, as Jim Fossil is now coined Mr. December, and they ended the season, more importantly, on a five-game win streak that clinched the Giants a first-round bye and home field advantage. Number one seed in all of the NFC, which was huge. Because now the Giants don't have to go on the road. They can sit right where they are in their comfort zone. The only thing was, you look at the Giants' record via home and away on this season. The Giants were 7-1 and one on the road and just 5-3 and three at home. So it's, it's definitely interesting. Now we look at the playoff format in the year 2000. We have the three division winners of each conference and three wild cards. That can come from any conference. Uh, the six teams, Hank. Before we get to the playoffs, tell us about what do you think was the most memorable game for you in this 2000 season? I think the most memorable game for me, I would have to go with probably the second win against the Cowboys because that was a game where it looked like they kind of got complacent in the first half because they were down 13 nothing to a team that really was going nowhere. And But then knowing what they needed to do to win the division, obviously they picked up in the second half. And the defense, as we mentioned, made some really clutch plays, such as the Emmanuel and McDaniel interception, which led to the Barber touchdown. 
So I would have to give the Dallas game Daniel McDaniel the most important one. But, and like I said, like we said, that clinched them the division. It also helped them clinch home field advantage because, again, even though we, they finished 7-1 on the road during the season, it would have been a lot harder to get to the Super Bowl for sure. So the most memorable game for me is actually the Cardinals game. After Fossil comes out, makes the speech, Giants come in week 13 in a must-win situation. They just lost two in, a, two in a row. Fossil just put his neck on the line. Remember, this guy's in his contract season. So it's definitely very important that the Giants get their you know stuff together and that the Giants were able to make a legitimate playoff run. This team was bound to go to the playoffs, and that's exactly what they did. In fact, this 12-4 and record the Giants have – they had more wins in this season than either of their two Super Bowl winning teams did in 2007 and 2011. Now we fast forward to the Meadowlands Giants Stadium, divisional round, mid-January against the Philadelphia Eagles. Immediately, first play of the game, Giants win the coin toss, elect to receive. Ron Dixon returns the opening kickoff, takes it to the house, setting the tone, 97-yard kickoff return. But after that, Hank, it seemed that this game was just ugly on both sides. It was a very ugly game. It's very tough to beat a team three times in one season. We've seen that in the past, and I think the Giants really proved a lot of doubters wrong by winning this football game. Yeah, this was a game where it was really a defensive struggle. They Each team had like three turnovers during this game. However, one of the most important moments was a Jason Seahorn pick six, which pretty much shielded the deal. And the Giants won this despite not even scoring a touchdown on offense. Yeah, actually both touchdowns in this game were uh, supplied by the defense and the special teams. Yes. So I definitely think that really uh, set the tone. And folks, now, uh, before we get there, there were three turnovers for each team in this game committed a piece. And that second touchdown, we're going to show it now. It was the acrobatic Jason Seahorn interception in the divisional round. Let me get that up for you here, folks. The Giants, again, uh, they're up 10-3, to I want to say, in need, trying to create some distance with Philadelphia. And then, out of nowhere, an excellent play is made by the Giants' number one cornerback. Yes, the Vikings were next guaranteed, especially after that interception. It pretty much sealed the deal. The Giants, they go up 17-3. to They go on to win 20-10. to I believe Philadelphia scored a garbage-time touchdown, if I'm not mistaken, to come within 10. But, uh, Hank, what really stood out to me in this game, again, it's the defense. I understand the uh, kickoff return was big for Ron Dixon and a punter that a lot of people don't know about. They know him mainly as a Chicago Bear, but Brad Maynard who also played for the Giants. But Jason Seahorn, again, a cornerback who was very underrated throughout his career, in my opinion, personally. There's a picture of him right there, number 31. Uh, one of the captains on this team, one of the really longest-tenured players. In fact, we have a close-up photo of him, I think, returning that pick back to the house. There it is. Yep. There it is. Uh, yeah, no chance he is caught. So an excellent play. Him, opposite of veteran Dave Thomas having Sam Garns and Sean Williams back there. Hank, I really think it goes to show that the Giants definitely brought a lot of good on defense, and this is what ultimately carried them, holding, giving up only 10 points combined in the two playoff games that they played leading up to that Super Bowl. 
not to mention Michael Strahan, number 92, who I don't think we've showed his picture yet tonight, but we will right now once I get that up. He had two sacks in this game. Definitely uh, an interesting player, one of the best players in Giants history. There he is. He was around for the 2007 run as well. You may know him. He's an analyst on Fox Sports pregame uh, during the NFL season. You see him a lot sometimes on TV shows. One of my favorite Giants of all time. Had two sacks in this game. And, you know, a guy who he had the 22 sacks the following year in 2001. 22 and a half, actually. Pardon me. Uh, but nine and a half this season, it was that's because the Giants, all the players were getting to the quarterback. It wasn't just Strahan. It was Armstead, Keith Hamilton, Cedric Jones, Christian Peter, Jesse Armstead, you name it. Pete Monty had like three sacks. Mike Barrow. I mean, the list goes on, Hank. The defense was out of control. And now uh, Minnesota was on tap for the Giants. NFC Championship game. Kerry Collins and the New York Giants heading in against Dante Culpepper and the Minnesota Vikings, second-year quarterback. Hank, I got to tell you, this game, a lot of people were nervous. A lot of people were nervous. They weren't sure what was going to happen, but I'll tell you who wasn't nervous. Giants offensive coordinator Sean Payton made a statement earlier that week saying that the Giants would throw for at least 300 passing yards in the first half. And fun fact, that actually happened. That actually happened. Uh, I've got to tell you something. They had an excellent game plan. They came in. They executed the fourth play from scrimmage, the touchdown pass to Ike Hilliard, I believe it was a 46 yarder. We have that image right here. There it is again. Carter had no shot at catching him. Hank, in my opinion, that play to Ike Hilliard, that's not what set the tone. I understand it sets the tone to an extent, but what really mm-hmm. stood out to me was the ensuing kickoff, the fumble by Mo Williams recovered by Lyle West. And then immediately after that fumble, you would get the uh, touchdown that we showed earlier caught by Greg Camella, the fullback, who, interestingly enough, he did not have a touchdown reception during the regular season. This was his only touchdown all year. And it couldn't have come at a better time. Right down the seam, right sideline, makes a nice catch, two hands, pulls it in, gets both feet in bounds, puts the Giants up 14 nothing. So the touchdown to Hilliard, who had two touchdowns on the day himself, uh, Hilliard was fantastic in this game, Hank. 10 catches, 155 yards, and two touchdowns. Really liked what I saw out of him. And then Lyle West recovering that fumble for Mo Williams. That Camilla touchdown actually happened the next play, right after that fumble that West recovered at the 18-yard line because it was a bad kick. It was a short pooch kick like D'Aloiso. It was kind of like a squib to an extent. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, it was definitely very interesting to see what the Giants offense did in this game because they really dominated. Kerry Collins, in my opinion, had the best game of his career. 381 passing yards, the five touchdown throws. That was a Giants single game record, actually, uh, leading the Giants to a 41-0 dominant NFC championship win. Man, you know, those are really good times. Hey, uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about the Vikings a little bit. Receivers Randy Moss and Chris Carter, right? Two guys who were really well-known, top-of-the-line receivers at the time. They were held to just five catches combined in this game. Uh, Dave Thomas and Jason Seahorn, again, we talked about it. Those vets. Emmanuel McDaniel, a big interception in the end zone in that game. Talk about their impact and how they were able to slow down Carter and Moss. Right. The defense, as we mentioned, exceptional game plan. Very good. They were on Carter and Moss pretty much... Like, as if, you know, 
like like white rice sticking to each other. It was insane coverage. And not only that, but another thing I wanted to mention about the office, the offense, this also tells you how good the defense was. We yeah. they outgained the Vikings 518 yards to Minnesota's 114. And yes, yes five, 518 to 114, the Giants outgained the Vikings. And that yes, was the yardage. Over 400-yard difference. And yes, John, you were correct. I do love Pyramid, and Michael Strahan is an excellent game show host, too. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. Good now for watching our show tonight. We really appreciate you, buddy. Uh, Chappaqua, New York. Uh, yes. But yeah, uh, another fun fact. The Giants have outscored their opponents 58 nothing all time in NFC championship games. Fantastic stat line right there. If you ask me, I mean, you really can't ask much more if you're a giants fan, the fact that you've never given up a point in an NFC championship game at home and fun, a fun fact too. giants are undefeated all time as a franchise in NFC championship games. And you know what the crazy part is the other three wins in the NFC championships were all overtime thrillers. Yeah, that is correct. Actually, no, no. The first uh, one over time that was right, the last right before last. Yep. But still, they all were pretty exciting ones when compared to the home games. The Yep. Uh, I'll definitely agree with you there. Uh, it's just something to really – it sticks out to you. It's just great to see the Giants were headed to Tampa. The Giants were headed to the Super Bowl, as Lomas Brown would say. Uh, Under-the-radar player making his first Super Bowl after a long career. Did a, li- uh, did a lot of traveling throughout his – career and at this time we're going to show another clip following the nfc championship game giants owner wellington mara did an interview with terry bradshaw quote unquote he said the giants 2000 team was the worst team to ever make the super bowl the giants defied a lot uh the odds that season especially with their critics saying the giants wouldn't go anywhere why would a seven and nine team the previous year go 12 and four the next and make uh, leapfrog themselves to the Super Bowl. That's what the San Francisco 49ers did just this past season. They, I believe they went from oh, a four and twelve team, yeah, uh, to thirteen and three, and making the Super Bowl. But the Giants do lose. And the Rams did that the year before. Yeah, you're right, 100. percent You you are correct. Um, but the New York Giants finished twelve and four but they were unable to capture their third Super Bowl in 15 years, arguably played against one of the greatest defenses ever, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, who set the record for the fewest points allowed in a 16-game regular season, giving up just about 10 points a game. Uh, Linebacker Ray Lewis won AP Defensive Player of the Year. The Giants' defense was good, too. They only averaged, giving up about 15 points a game. In fact, the Giants allowed under 10 points a game six times that season. But it was really Baltimore's defense, unfortunately, that got the better end of the deal in that Super Bowl. Yeah, Baltimore. Here's the thing. Kerry Collins, as great as he was during the regular season, unfortunately, he had not faced a team like the Baltimore Ravens. And you can see he, he didn't, wasn't able to lead them on a single scoring drive. That's how dominant the Ravens were. I, I'm not really, I don't think it's really fair to criticize Kerry Collins because it, I think we should really give carrots to the Ravens, to be honest. I definitely agree. Uh, yes, Collins did throw four picks in this game, but you know, you talk about this Ravens team. They were twelve and four team. They made the playoff as a wild card. Actually, they had to go through the Tennessee Titans, who won the AFC Central that year. Uh, 
The Ravens were a four seed. The Giants were a one seed, but they had the same record at 12 and four. It goes to show you, um, you know, who got the better end of the, of the deal because the AFC was a lot more competitive than the NFC that year, in my opinion, uh, as far as record goes. Again, this was five seasons after their relocation from Cleveland. They only carried three players from that game from Cleveland and Matt Stover, Rob Burnett, and Larry Webster. But I really think Baltimore, uh, you know, they had a much tougher road. They had to win three straight games to get to the Super Bowl. And I believe they were three-point favorites, actually, over the Giants because of their route and what they had to go through. I believe they beat Denver on wild card weekend. They beat them like 21 to three or something. Then they beat Tennessee the following week. And then they beat Oakland in the AFC championship game, 16 to three. So Baltimore definitely deserved to be here. Uh, But yeah, you know, I'll tell you something, Hank, the giants definitely have nothing to be ashamed of. There's uh, Kerry Collins giving up, giving the thumbs up after the giants won that NFC championship game. Uh, yeah, it was just a rough game overall. The Giants seemed to be outmatched. They ran into a defense that was better than theirs, and they really were able – Brian Billick was able to solve everything the Giants threw at them. Uh, five turnovers. Ravens had none. The all, In fact, the only score of the game was a kickoff return for a touchdown by Ron Dixon, another 97-yarder, the second 97-yarder of the playoffs. Yep. But the Ravens responded immediately, an 84-yard kickoff, Return for a touchdown by Jermaine Lewis. It just seemed whatever the Giants did to take a step forward in this game, Baltimore was able to bring the Giants two steps back. Right, and there was also the Jesse Armstead pick six that unfortunately was also negated because of the holding penalty. So, yeah, it really emphasizes your point. The, the Ravens were just such a powerfully good defense. And, yeah, it was Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong for them would go wrong. And matter of fact, Here's how another problem with the Giants offense. Brad Maynard, the punter, 11 punts. That was a Super Bowl record. Yeah, it, it just. The Giants were unable to get out of their own zone. They kept punting the football away or turning it over, whatever it was. And there was just nothing going for the Giants. If I remember correctly, uh, I think a big issue was the, the Ravens dominated time of possession in this game. Jamal Lewis had like 100 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown was very questionable, though. I, to this day, I still don't know if he was in. Mike Barrow and Sean Williams, I thought, did a really good job of keeping him out of the end zone. But a lot of people will argue the Ravens would have just scored on the next player. So with the way that game was going. Uh, again, this was an offense that was led by quarterback Trent Dilfer. This offense was not good. As my co-host on Review and Preview, Fonz DeFalco, would tell you, this was historically one of the worst offenses in NFL history, the Ravens were not a good offense, but yet they still managed to find a way to the uh, to win the Super Bowl. This speaks volumes to how I'll you give you that about that Ravens team. They went five straight games without scoring like above ten points, and they somehow won two of them. I remember that there was a five game stretch where they just couldn't score points. But again, like I said, it speaks volumes. You don't need a lot of high profile offensive weapons to win a Super Bowl. That's why they say defense wins championships. In fact, I think their leading receiver was Brandon Stokely in this game. A lot of people know him in his time with the Colts and the Broncos. He was actually a giant at one point as yeah. well. Brief short time. Another fun fact, a player who played in Super Bowl 42, not named the Monty Toomer or Michael Strahan played in this game, but he played for the Baltimore Ravens. Adalis Thomas, 
a uh, linebacker for them. He was picked in the sixth round of the draft that year, who later went on to play for the New England Patriots in, in Super Bowl Forty Two. Just a little fun fact. Yes, I I definitely remember seeing him, and I think he definitely. Correct me if wrong. It was wasn't it him that missed a pick, missed a pick that would have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, although I have to say, New York, they walked out of Tampa as NFC champion as NFC champions, and they, and they restored their winning culture. The Giants did. They restored their winning culture, which was key. Uh, again, this was a very uh, good season for the Giants. A lot of unsung heroes. The great free agent addition of Michael Barrow. We talked about Keith Hamilton. I thought the safeties, Sean Williams and Sam Garns, were both really, really good. Obviously, Ron Stone was a pro bowler. They brought in Glenn Parker from Kansas City. Barber had his first 1,000-yard season. Toomer and Hilliard were great. Uh, and you talk about Joe Dravicious, too, an under-the-radar player who was able to move the chains every time he caught the ball pretty much under the radar player who caught, who actually caught a touchdown in the NFC championship game. Uh, and then of course you had Ron Dixon on special teams who was just fantastic. I really thought these were a lot of the season highlights for the giants in the year 2000. Yeah. When you think of uh, the giants in 2000, so many unsung heroes too, besides the big guys that we just mentioned and another, uh, and as, and a lot of these players, some of them actually, as we mentioned, would go on to be coaches. Dan Campbell and of course Jason Garrett and and the fact that these this team had two prolos really speaks volumes about how like how much people slept on them throughout or slept on them throughout the season. It was a team effort to be honest with you. Yeah. It was a team effort and that goes unnoticed a lot. A lot of good teams go far. It's not always the best team but the team that's most together. It's not always the most talented who has the most stats this exactly. and that. Some under-the-radar players, obviously, we talked about Dan Campbell, Joe Duravicious, and Brad Maynard. Another guy I want to talk about, actually, is Pete Mitchell. Pete Mitchell was the third-string tight end on this roster. He was actually referred to as the receiving tight end. He was drafted by Jacksonville in their first-ever draft in 1995. Uh, He actually had a catch in the Jacksonville game that season. We talked about Greg, uh, Greg Camella, who had 36 catches for a fullback. Fantastic. Jason Garrett, our backup quarterback, who's now our offensive coordinator, similar to Jim Fossil in a pass-first offense. My favorite under-the-radar player, Emmanuel McDaniel, six interceptions in this season uh, and one key one in the NFC Championship game that uh, you know really did a good job against Chris Carter. He kind of thwarted the Vikings of their best scoring chance in that game. Kevin Lewis, a linebacker. Who also played on the 04 and 05 Giants. He was still around. Pete Monty, Ryan Phillips. Fun fact about Ryan Phillips. Here's a picture of him chasing after Frank Wycheck in their uh, week five game. Uh, Phillips quietly led all linebackers with two picks on the season. A little fun fact about him. Number 91. He was another 97 guy, similar to uh, Tiki Barber. Dave Thomas, a good veteran on this team. Christian Peter. Hank, I know there's a story about Christian Peter. Why don't you run that down for us quick here? There he is, number 99. Christian Peter was originally drafted by the New England Patriots in 1996. Bill Parcells wanted a a defensive end when the owner, Robert Kraft, wanted a wide receiver. Kraft obviously overruled him in that draft and took Terry Glenn. Parcells took Christian Peter, and unfortunately there was a lot of controversy surrounding Christian Peter. 
he had been in multiple domestic violence allegations, and there were a few women's groups around the Boston area, including Robert Kraft's wife, Myra, who was very strongly opposed to this pick based on his past. And because of that, the Patriots, based on this backlash, had to release him. The Giants, though, fortunately picked him up, and with them, he was able to undergo treatment and counseling throughout his personal life, and to this day, he credits the Giants for saving his life, basically. Pretty much. You brought it up 100%. Great stuff there, Hank. Uh, Another guy, Lomas Brown. Only spent two seasons with the Giants, but he quietly played in the NFL from 1985 to 2002. There he is, Lomas Brown, number 76, starting left tackle. He spent majority of his career with the Detroit Lions, but fun fact about Lomas, his final three seasons, he played in two Super Bowls. Obviously, he lost with the Giants, but he won one with Tampa Bay. I really think this was an underrated offensive line as well. It was an older offensive line. You had your young guys in Stone and Pettigrew, but Ziegler, the Betts and Ziegler, Mm -hmm. Parker, and Lomas. And Lomas Brown, you could make a good argument that he should be in the Hall of Fame. He had seven Pro Bowlers in his career, and he's been honored in Detroit, too, for his good play. It's not as easy to make the Pro Bowl as people think. I mean, a lot of people say he should be there. Uh, Let's go on to Cedric Jones. The defensive end started opposite of Michael Strahan. And then Cornelius Griffin, number 97, the only rookie to start on this team. So what we're going to do now, folks, before we wrap up the show, me and Hank are going to reveal our top 10 uh, Giants players from this 2000 team. And Hank, we are going to start with you, your number 10 player. All right. So for number 10, there were a lot of really good choices I could have made, such as Emmanuel McDaniel as one of them. However, I went with a guy who, as we mentioned, was a key third down stopper and also the only rookie to start on the defensive line. And this guy had five sacks, like, It goes to show you how insane our defense was that year. I'm going to go with Cornelius Griffin, number 97 at number 10. Good pick. I really like that, Hank. Uh, You know, you brought up a lot of good points. Five sacks as a rookie is definitely a very uh, tall task to do. There's a picture of him again, for those of you who don't know who he is. So Cornelius Griffin is 10th on your list. Give us number nine. All right, number nine on this list, I have this guy. He, let me just try to remember where it was. All right, number nine. All right, number nine on this list, one of two wide receivers that was a very deep threat. And as we mentioned in the NFC Championship game, this guy was extremely clutch. Yeah, he made one of the tone setting plays that deep that deep pass, which, as you mentioned, probably put a put a pin in the Vikings hopes. And I would be hard pressed to disagree to disagree with that. So this next one I have. Ike Hilliard, number nine, really good wide receiver to compliment the other guy who you will see soon. Spoiler alert. There's number nine, Ike Hilliard, wide receiver. We've shown plenty of pictures of him so far. So, Hank, let's get to number eight on your list. I figured it was only fitting to put this guy at number eight. This was definitely the best receiver 
And like Tom said, I still find it hard to believe this guy only made seven catches, but this was another one of his more consistent seasons, putting up big numbers at the receiver. Got to go with number 81, Amani Toomer. Yeah, I definitely like that. Amani Toomer, number 81. He was definitely a good player for this team. You know, I've got to say Amani Toomer, the seven. Hank, I know I might have had him a little higher, but uh, let's go on with the rest of your list. Definitely uh, well deserving to be here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, number seven. Now, this guy I probably could have put a little bit higher. One of the two pro bowlers, but he gave some good protection for the running backs and the quarterback. Got to go with Ron Stone. Ron Stone, one of the two pro bowlers on this team, a young guy. Uh, Let me get the picture up of him here. I know I got it somewhere. There's Ron. Right guard. Look at him. Look at that smile, number 65. I like the old Giants white uniforms. I like them better than the modern white ones, to be honest with you. Yeah, I really miss those. Yeah, Ron Stone was a good guy. Definitely uh, like to see him there on that list. And, Hank, get on to number six. Number six, let's go with the top free agent that they signed, Michael Barrow. Michael Barrow, starting middle linebacker on this team. You know, Hank, I've got to say, definitely a good pick, Michael Barrow. Also forced a lot of fumbles in his tenure with the Giants. Nice big picture there of number 58. Coming at you. Coming at you on your screen. Look out, folks. All right, let's get to number five. And now my top five. If you guys, if anyone knows or remembers this team at all, this isn't going to be in doubt. Number five, the unsung hero of this defense, Keith Hamilton. Keith Hamilton, number 75. You know, I got to say, he had a good tenure with the Giants, and it really, this was his best one. This was his best season. Uh, with the Giants. Keith Hamilton, there he is. Big number 75. He gets the full screen there for you, folks. Man, he was definitely a force to be reckoned with. Hank, get on to number four. All right, for number four, let's go with the other guy who made the Pro Bowl and also the guy who led the team in tackles. Number 98, Jesse Armstead. Number 98, Jesse Armstead. Definitely like this guy. I like how you picked him here. I don't think I had him at number four, but uh, I know I had him close around this range. Definitely uh, a good spot for Jesse Armstead. Again, the forgotten one, the forgotten one. Yes. And now we get to some of the bigger guys. Number three, let's go with the quarterback who really turned his life around this season. Got to go with number five, Kerry Collins, and a very underrated Giants quarterback in franchise history. Yeah, there's a quick picture there of Kerry Collins in the pocket. Hank, guy played for Penn State. With Joe Juravicious, I think having that connection with him on the Giants definitely helped. It definitely helped them developing a good rapport with the wide receivers, Amani Toomer and I. Killiard. I know to this day, Kerry and Amani still keep in touch. So definitely, you'll love to see it. You'll love yeah. to see it. Number two, well, let's go for number two. Let's go with the lightning half of the running back combo, Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber, number two. Hank, I think we had a similar top couple of picks here. Tiki Barber, definitely one of the best players on this team. There he is. Tiki. Man, I missed that guy. I actually met him a couple of years ago at uh, CBS. I went there for a visit, visited one of their staff, and I actually got to I got to shake Tiki's hand. Couldn't get a picture, but, uh, yeah, definitely love meeting Tiki Barber. That's awesome. And now for number one. Is this even a doubt? Who else? Got to go with number 92, a guy who you now see on on game shows like Pyramid and other stuff on TV, including Fox, NFL Sunday, Michael Strahan. Look at that. Great pick. 
Great pick. I really like your list. I might have a couple things different, but we'll run through mine quickly. At number 10, I had cornerback Emmanuel McDaniel. I definitely think he deserves to be here uh, because of that six interception season that he had. The big interception in the NFC Championship game is a picture of him sitting on the sideline there. He wasn't a starter. He's my only non-starter, I believe, that is actually on this list. The fact that a non-starter makes this list is insane. But in my opinion, if you're judging this off the 2000 season, you need, I mean, you can't overlook a guy who had six interceptions. So I definitely think he cracks the list strictly for that reason. Yeah, uh, I like yeah. I like that pick. And, and as we mentioned, he made some of the biggest picks of the season. There was the Cowboys game in week 16. And then, of course, the NFC Championship game, which really was the Vikings' best chance to get in that game. Anyways, let's hear your number nine pick. Number nine, I got Ike Hilliard, wide receiver, number 88. Uh, again, this is a guy who led the team in touchdowns with eight touchdown receptions on the season. There's Ike. Uh, I definitely like what he brought to the table for this team. Also a big factor on special teams early on in his career and one of the favorites for Kerry. Oh, definitely. And uh, I have a feeling your number eight one is going to be the other guy who played opposite him at the same position. Am I correct? You are incorrect. It is actually oh, wow. Amon Stone wow. I have at number eight. Uh, look, I think Amani Toomer needs to be a little bit higher. Uh, I think I just think that Ron Stone clocks in here. Uh, he has to be on the top ten. Obviously, he's one of the two pro bowlers. I don't think I'm going to put Ron Stone higher than eight, mainly because I think there's seven guys that definitely stood out a little bit more to me, my personal opinion. But uh, Ron Stone was great. Loved having him on this team. Next at number seven, Michael Barrow. Michael Barrow, number 58. I know we just showed a picture of him. So Mike Barrow at number seven. Number six, Keith Hamilton. There he is, number six. I really think he deserves to be here again. The 10-sack season. Now we get into my top five. We dive into that. There he is, number five. All right. Amani Toomer at wide receiver. Definitely love me some Amani Toomer. Great season for him with this team. And I'm going to be honest, without Amani Toomer, the Giants don't get where they are. I uh, definitely made a lot of clutch catches for them. Number four, I got Kerry Collins, the quarterback. I have him at number four. I don't have him any higher than that, strictly because I went a little defense heavy here on this list, if you didn't notice. I can't blame you. Um I really like Kerry Collins. I definitely think he's on the rated. But as far as top three players on the team go, I think the top three players on the team are, you know, the three most notables, which we'll get into right now. Number three, Jesse Armstead. Outside linebacker, a pro bowler, led the team in tackles. Five sacks from the linebacker position is insane. We'll get a big picture here up of number 98. Full screen shot. There he is, number 98, putting that fist up, making a good play out there. So that is number three. And then my top two, I think we might have the same. There he is. Go Tiki. Yes. Tiki Barber, number two. We'll put up a a different picture of him there, sitting on the sideline with Ron Dane, Greg Camella, and Kerry Collins. Number two for me is Tiki Barber. And now the drum roll. Do we need it? I'm not sure if we do, because I think we know who it is. Number one, Michael Strahan. I really like Michael Strahan here. He was the best player on this team for me. He was the leader of that defense, number 92, the nine and a half sacks. Definitely speaks volumes to why the Giants gave up 10 or fewer points 
in nearly half of their games in this 2000 campaign. Hank, I got to say, we've done a fantastic job uh, analyzing the story of the 2000 NFC champion, New York Giants. I like to really tell a story to people. I don't want to analyze and read all facts. Uh, For me, I think this team was fantastic. Hey, let's reveal our graphic quick here of our top 10 players, just so everybody can see. Uh, Let me remove that banner at the bottom. You can see the full list. Breaking down this list right now, our top two are the same. And that's it. We pretty much have nine of the same guys. Our number 10 is different. Um, And then our seating is just different all across the board. I think we have one, two, and nine exact, three through eight and 10. We do a little mix and matching. But, you know, that makes sense. A lot of the, the, this list is really interchangeable with like the middle part of the order. Because, and it really speaks volumes to how much they really played as a team, for sure. It was definitely a great team effort, I've got to say. I think this was a very underrated season in Giants history. I mean, going to the Super Bowl, a lot of people don't talk about this season. Uh, I mean, I, I don't remember it. I was only five years old at the time, but I remember my brother watching that Super Bowl and seeing, you know, how tough of a game that was, but a great season overall. Remember, there's 32 teams in the NFL, and only one can come out on top every single year. Uh, yeah, the only really difference that we have on this list have Amani Toomer a little bit higher than you. You have him a little bit lower. Everything else is very consistent. I think uh, Amani Toomer is the only thing we have a significant difference in. So we'll take that away. Those are our two lists. And Hank, hey, man, I really appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, I think we should do this again. I think we're going to next time we'll talk about the 2002 Giants playoff team. We'll make this a trend. So we'll talk about every Giants team that made the playoffs from 2000 to present. So in a week or two, we'll have our 2002 show. Uh, we'll do it on a Thursday. I like this throwback Thursday theme that we've been doing. And before I get to you, I want a quick shout out my grandfather, you know, today's his birthday and he was a big reason why um, I was a giants fan growing up. You know, I miss watching giants games with him. He was a great without him i'm probably still a giants fan but probably not as soon as i would have liked to be yeah no tom i okay. wanted any final thoughts <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah tom first of all i just want to say thank you for having me i had a lot of fun talking about this season and this is one of my first times where i've really hosted a podcast and so it was a lot of fun and being a giants fan it's had its ups and downs but you know what it's it, we'll see how it goes in the future and I can't wait to talk about the next team when we get to 2002. I'll tell you something. I can't wait to talk about it either. Um, look, Hank, I'm going to be honest with you. The, this was a season where the Giants truly lived the American dream, in my opinion. Yes. Uh, the American dream, starting off a new century on the right foot. The 21st century was where the Giants stunned the football world, in my honest opinion. Um, but, you know, until then, Hank, we will do the 2002 season next thank you very much for joining me here tonight a little premature there on behalf of hank and dictor i'm your host tom scavetta saying so long and wishing you all a good evening see you next time